You're on the original station that provides Tech Talk tips and observation. This is Avi Interglick, your tech concierge. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Wave Radio, and this is your Tech Talk Tip for Tuesday, July 25th, 2017. You may have been hearing the word Bitcoin used in the news and asked, what is Bitcoin and why should I care? It's often referred to during discussions about computer virus infections, more specifically, a form of payment demanded during ransomware attacks. So why is Bitcoin used in this way? What is it actually? Where did it come from? How do you get it, and what do you do with it once you have it? In the next several minutes, I'll do my best to explain it in terms we can both understand. First, the what. Bitcoin is defined as a type of digital currency in which encryption techniques are used to regulate the generation of units of currency and to verify the transfer of funds. No central bank or any bank or middleman are used to conduct transactions. There are no transaction fees and real names are not associated with individual transactions. Rather, unique tracking codes are used to identify transfers. I found an interesting article dated October 10th, 2011 and published in the New Yorker magazine. It was written by Joshua Davis entitled The Cryptocurrency. Bitcoin and its mysterious inventor. In that article, Davis details the mysterious clandestine history of the inventor of Bitcoin. I've excerpted parts of the article as I believe it lays an important foundation to the understanding of Bitcoin's background. Bitcoin was created on January 3rd, 2009 by a computer coder that goes by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto. His purely digital form of currency was inspired by Nakamoto's anger over the financial crisis. He wanted to create a currency that was impervious to unpredictable monetary policies and out of the control of bankers and politicians. Controlled exclusively by software, the design would release a total of 21 million bitcoins over the course of the next 20 years. Every 10 minutes or so, coins would be distributed through a process that resembled a lottery. Miners, people seeking the coins, would play the lottery again and again. The fastest computer would win the most money. Interest in Nakamoto's invention built steadily. More and more people dedicated their computers to the lottery and 44 exchanges popped up, allowing anyone with bitcoins to trade them for official currencies like dollars or euros. Creative computer engineers could mine for bitcoins. Anyone could buy them. At first, a single bitcoin was valued at less than a penny. But merchants gradually began to accept bitcoins, and at the end of 2010, their value began to appreciate rapidly. By June of 2011, a bitcoin was worth more than $29. Market gyrations followed, and by September, the exchange rate had fallen to $5. Still, with more than 7 million bitcoins in circulation, Nakamoto had created $35 million 
of value. And yet Nakamoto himself was a cipher. Before the debut of Bitcoin, there was no record of any coder with that name. He used an email address and a website that were untraceable. In 2009 and 2010, he wrote hundreds of posts in flawless English, and though he invited other software developers to help him improve the code and corresponded with them, he never revealed a personal detail. Then, in April 2011, he sent a note to a developer saying that he had moved on to other things. To this day, mystery surrounds the actual identity of Nakamoto. When Nakamoto disappeared, hundreds of people posted theories about his identity and whereabouts. Some wanted to know if he could be trusted. Might he have created the currency in order to hoard coins and cash out? We can effectively think of Satoshi Nakamoto as being on top of a Ponzi scheme. George Yu, a blogger and technology commenter, wrote, It appeared, though, that Nakamoto was motivated by politics, not crime. He had introduced the currency just a few months after the collapse of the global banking sector and published a 500-word essay about traditional fiat or government-backed currencies. The root problem with conventional currency is all the trust that is required to make it work, he wrote. The central bank must be trusted not to debase the currency, but the history of fiat currencies is full of breaches of that trust. Banks must be trusted to hold our money and transfer it electronically, but they lend it out in waves of credit bubbles with barely a fraction in reserve. Banks, however, do much more than lend money to overzealous homebuyers. They also, for example, monitor payments so that no one can spend the same dollar twice. Cash is immune to this problem. You can't give two people the same bill, but with digital currency, there is the danger that someone can spend the same money any number of time. Nakamoto solved this problem using innovative cryptography. The Bitcoin software encrypts each transaction. The sender and the receiver are identified only by a string of numbers, but a public record of every coin's movement is published across the entire network. Buyers and sellers remain anonymous, but everyone can see that a coin has moved from A to B and Nakamoto's code can prevent A from spending the coin a second time. Nakamoto's software would allow people to send money directly to each other without an intermediary and no outside party could create more bitcoins. Central banks and governments played no role. If Nakamoto ran the world, he would have just fired the chairman of the Federal Reserve, closed the European Central Bank, and shut down Western Union. Everything is based on crypto proof instead of trust, Nakamoto wrote in his 2009 essay. Dan Kaminsky, a leading internet security researcher, investigated the currency and was sure he would find major weaknesses. He dug deep into the code, attempted to hack the system, and every attempt proved that the code was dense, extremely well thought out, and virtually indestructible. As it turned out, Nakamoto's code would have required world-class programming skills, including a deep understanding of the C++ programming language, economics, cryptography, and peer-to-peer -peer networking. It was believed that either a team of people worked on it or a genius was behind it. Kaminsky found no holes in the code. Every time he thought he had found a bug, there was a line of code that addressed the problem. Over the years, the code has been scrutinized by many experts with similar findings. 
It is a violation of federal law for individuals to create private coin or currency systems to compete with the official coinage and currency of the United States. Online currencies aren't exempt. In 2007, the federal government filed charges against eGold, a company that sold a digital currency redeemable for gold. The government argued that the project enabled money laundering and child pornography since users did not have to provide thorough identification. The company's owners were found guilty of operating an unlicensed money transmitting business and the CEO was sentenced to months of house arrest. The company was effectively shut down. Nakamoto seemed to be doing the same things as these other currency developers who ran afoul of authorities. He was competing with the dollar and he ensured the anonymity of users, which made Bitcoin attractive for criminals. Still, Louis Solomon, a professor emeritus at George Washington University Law School, who has written about alternative currencies, argues that creating Bitcoin might be legal. Bitcoin is in a gray area, in part because we don't know whether it should be treated as a currency, a commodity like gold, or possibly even a security, he says. Gray areas, however, are dangerous, which may be why Nakamoto constructed Bitcoin in secret. It may also explain why he built the code with the same peer-to-peer technology that facilitates the exchange of pirated movies and music. Users connect with each other instead of with a central server. There's no company in control, no office to raid, and nobody to arrest. Today, bitcoins can be used online to purchase all types of things from individuals and even many major retailers. The Bitcoin lottery is set up so that the difficulty of winning increases as the more people play it. When Bitcoin launched, a basic laptop would have had a reasonable chance of winning from time to time. Now, however, the computing power dedicated to playing the Bitcoin lottery exceeds that of some of the world's most powerful supercomputers. So most people simply set up accounts with Bitcoin exchanges who provide consumers with the ability to exchange cash for Bitcoin. In 1971, Richard Nixon announced that U.S. dollars could no longer be redeemed for gold. Ever since, the value of the dollar has been based on our faith in it. We trust that dollars will be valuable tomorrow, so we accept payment in dollars today. Bitcoin is similar. You have to trust that the system won't get hacked and that Nakamoto won't suddenly emerge to somehow plunder it all. Once you believe in it, the actual cost of a Bitcoin, $5 or thousands, depends on factors such as how many merchants are using it, how many might use it in the future, and whether or not governments ban it. So far, while the price of Bitcoin fluctuates, and as of this recording, one Bitcoin is equal to $2,817.97 US dollars. It is more popular than ever as a means of exchange. So how does one get it, and what do you do with it once you have it? Full-service exchanges are one-stop shops that simplify the process. Companies such as Coinbase.com offer secure Bitcoin wallets and the ability to exchange money for a small fee for Bitcoin. Sending and receiving Bitcoin is always free. 
Customers say that Coinbase has done a good job of simplifying Bitcoin use, using online resources via a website or via Coinbase's app for iPhone or Android makes it easy to transact business from standard currency to Bitcoin and back to standard currency. Coinbase claims that using Bitcoin is the easiest and quickest way to make a payment on the internet. Paying with Bitcoin is more secure than paying with a credit card. When you pay with Bitcoin, the merchant can't make a copy of your payment information. Additionally, your payment can't be rejected by your bank, credit card company, or the merchant. I've only scratched the surface today of the subject of cryptocurrency. There is so much to learn about this complex topic. Suffice it to say that digital currency is a means of exchange that will likely be with us for the foreseeable future. I invite you to reach out to me to continue the conversation. I offer up Tech Talk tips and support daily on my station at anchor.fm slash askavi. For an archive of all my previous Tech Talk tips, please visit www.techtalktips.com. For Wave Radio, Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, the Amazon Echo platform, and more, I'm Avi Uniglick, your tech concierge, and you can connect with me at my website at www.askavi.com. I hope you have a great week.